This is Brampton Library Stories, exploring life beyond the shelves. Join us as we discuss the moments that define your library experience. You won't find these stories in a book. Hello. (laughs) I think we're both a little giddy because... A little nervous. Yes, we have a very exciting episode today. We do. Special guest, yep. CEO of Brampton Library, oh, Rebecca I Raven. I know. Yeah. What do you think it's going to be like? I, so we've been talking about this a little bit off the air, and uh, we're, Rebecca has such a strong presence. She did a really great TED Talk. Like, yeah. she's not new yes. to speaking. She's done a podcast before as well. There you go. Yeah. Shout out OLA Podcast. There you go. And... Uh, I, we both kind of have think that typically in this role, we are the ones that try and get people, you know, engaged and get people yeah. excited and talking and in a sharing kind of mood. But I think Rebecca's going to be that for us. I know. What she's going to she be interviewing like, us. She's going to be our rock. That's what I think. I'm very excited. So what you're saying is we cannot go wrong. I don't think so. All right. I think no matter how this goes, it's going to be a really great episode. Well, let's see yeah. exactly how it goes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So we are here today at our Chincusi branch in our recording studio, which is accessible to uh, Brampton Library members with a library card for free, no charge. And we are here with our CEO, Rebecca Raven. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. We're both very excited. Our whole previous introduction was just about how excited we are about this interview. So it's great. Yeah. Well, less interview, I guess, more conversation, Yeah. we hope. Um, so I think one of the first things we, we want to cover, um, because some people I talk to still don't, um, are surprised to hear that we have a CEO. So just the idea of a CEO of the library versus a head librarian versus a chief librarian. I don't know what other titles, director, maybe city librarian, city librarian. Um, yeah. Can you explain that to us a little bit, sort of maybe what that means for the organization or for the structure of of the library? Sure. I think every library system has its own tradition. I think traditionally chief librarian was the way most Canadian library systems went. In America, certainly um, the the top position is always the director. I think it was probably in the 80s again, which fits well with the theme of this podcast. (laughs) Oh, gee, we'll get to that. Yes, we will. Um, Wanting to um, portray ourselves in a more business-like fashion. So I think that's when some systems started to transition away from chief librarian, which was a very traditional and had a certain set of stereotypes Mm -hmm. around it, Mm -hmm. into CEO, which was more of a, a business terminology in order to you know, create the impression and and to not create the impression, but to solidify the impression that this is a business. It's a large business with a big budget and lots of employees. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Um, But actually, I think it's a misleading question for my part, because as much as we're excited to be talking to our CEO, I think what we're really excited to do is have a conversation with someone who's been a librarian and who's seen (laughs) things in libraries, who incidentally happens to be our CEO, I think, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of folks out there 
kind of still see libraries as a place where there's books, a place to study, uh, go and read. Um, but we've evolved so much. And with the rise of Google as well, it's created some interesting dynamics. Um, people think, you know, that they don't necessarily need to come into the library for research or for any of those kind of, of uses. Um, but Eva had mentioned before that back, you know, before Google, very, very different. People would come in, approach the desk. And so if you had a research topic or uh, something you had to look into, you went to the library. That was the place to go and you would speak to a librarian. So I guess we wanted to talk about kind of some of those changes from then to now. Um, maybe some of your experiences helping people look for um, materials or information, what they might have been seeking and how library staff support people in the age of Google today. If you think yourself about how many times in a day you turn to your phone or you turn to your device and just hit Google to say, oh, I recognize that actor. Who is that? What movie do are they? Those are all the kinds of questions that people used to either come to the library or phone the library for. All those bar bets that, you know, what's the bigger city? How long does it take to get from here to there? What was something amazing that happened the year that you were born or the year that I was born? Those were all the questions that people would walk up to the desk and approach the librarian. And it was a very, it was a very, um, you know, I don't want to say powerful, but one of the things that I was taught at library school was the reference interview yeah. was the most complex form of human communication. Ah, interesting. <laughs> now, we thought that was pretentious even then. <laughs> even then, back in the 80s, we thought that was kind of pretentious. But it's true that people, you know, when you think about people are coming to talk to a stranger and confessing that they don't know something and that they need your help yeah. to find out something they don't know, puts it puts some people in a very vulnerable position. Absolutely. It's not an easy thing to say, I don't know this, or especially if it's sensitive subject material, too. Yeah. Um, and even even deciphering sort of the, the, the heart of the question, mm-hmm. I think that's a tricky one because someone might ask something but it but phrase it in a way that misleads you towards a different answer exactly and that is what the reference right. interview is about so someone may come up and ask for directions to the psychology books uh-huh. and really when you drill down through the self-help what they're looking for is a book on something very personal that they need some assistance with right and it's right. in fact not just can you point me to the psychology books at all that's right so that was the that was the the complexity of the reference interview. Yeah. So you mentioned just a few seconds ago that people would phone in. Mm-hmm. Is that, so I immediately think of like, who wants to be a millionaire? Yes. You know, phone a friend. Was it like that? We were the original phone a friend. <gasps> yeah. We were the original no phone a friend. No pressure. <laughs> I know, right? right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this was, this was, a, it was a real team effort. Everyone had their own area of expertise in the collection and their own area of expertise that they brought with them as far as education or life experience or whatever. So if you had somebody who was working on a school project, say, in in biology or something, you knew knew the person. If you couldn't find the answer yourself, you knew the other library staff member who would be able to help you. And of course, it would be the same questions. You'd, You'd get 
the same class coming in with the same questions. We used to actually have forms in the drawer. So, of course, the, the first four or five kids in the class would come in and borrow all the books on ancient Egypt. Mm -hmm. And that sixth kid would come in and say, do you have any books on ancient Egypt for my project? (laughs) Sorry, kid. (laughs) Truly. Yeah. Sorry, kid. And we, we had a form letter that we would send to the teacher to say, yes, Eva came to the library and asked for books on ancient Egypt and all our books are gone. Wow. So, mm-hmm. It was like a, like a get out of jail free yeah, card. It sounds right? like there's merit in being the, the last one to clue in. Well, when there are limited resources, yeah. we had, that was a, uh, we spent some time trying to um, meet out the resources, yeah. who, how many books on one subject people could take. Yeah, and I, yeah, there was some policing that had to happen around that. I have to say that I experienced the uh, less, I mean, not less fortunate, depending on who you are and how you're looking at it. My mom uh, worked in libraries when I was a kid. And so I was the one whose mom knew that I had a project on ancient Egypt three weeks yeah. ahead of time and yes. made sure that I got the book. So I never got to. You never got that form. No. <laughs> think about that feeling of nostalgia of libraries. I think a lot of people will remember clipping files like newspaper files right. or picture files. So it was a part of not everyone's job, but a lot of people's jobs that at the end of the year, when you got your year long, say um, a year of life magazine bound into a permanent volume that would stay on the shelf, you would take all the volumes, all the loose volumes of life magazine that had come in throughout the year, and you would cut the pictures out, mount them on pieces of cardboard. Wow. And index them because wow. that's what librarians do, right? We know how to index and tag them. We call it tagging yeah. now, yeah. but they were indexed. So we had files and files and files. Anything that you would type into Google now in images. Yeah. Uh-huh. You were the you manual need... image search. Yes. That's fascinating. And often we'd get people coming in needing pictures of prime ministers or pictures of the provincial flowers. Right. And we would go to the picture file and we would pull out the pictures. And that was also a way to supplement if all the books on ancient Egypt were gone, maybe you could go to the picture file and pull out some pictures that at least, you know, the kids might have something to go home with. Likewise with newspapers. At the end of the day, we'd go through and clip news stories of significance and and that went into the clipping file. So this might be an obvious answer, but I, I don't know. How does one determine what goes into a picture file? Mm. Or a clipping, picture clipping. Yeah, that that's a really good question. I mean, a lot of it was based on local community. Mm. And a lot of it was based on your experience of questions that you'd been asked in the past and you could anticipate being asked. Also, there was a uh, like there was a framework of um, subject headings. Okay. And the, the, the lovely thing about clipping files was that they were very locally specific. Right. So if you if you um, might not have a book on something that had happened in the community, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you would go to the clipping file. And I'm sounding ancient. No. I'm really not enjoying how old I'm feeling. It's not that long ago. But isn't it remarkable? Mm -hmm. It's 
And so, well, I just remember. So I remember when we first got a computer at the house and I remember when we switched from dial up to high speed and, you know, I was in elementary school, like all of these changes have ruled out in what, 15 years, mm-hmm. maybe? Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting when we're talking about pictures and clippings, because as you're talking about getting a computer in your house, I remember when we first got dial-up with a computer in our house, my favorite activity was looking at pictures mm-hmm. of, you know, my favorite band at the time or something. And all I was doing was just looking at a picture, but it was very exciting because it was a picture I hadn't yet seen in a magazine. Right. So the, the, the scarcity of yes. the picture, my ability to, you know, access it, this was mind blowing to me at the time that it was sort of more or less on demand. I can view this picture. Yes. A whole new world. Yeah. So I can imagine how useful you know, clippings and and pictures in a library would be because how else are you going to find that? Yeah. So then again, out of curiosity, what would people do once they had the picture? Would they photocopy it? Would they, what what would be the use then once you have it? Because I'm thinking if I want to get a picture of my favorite band, I just grab it from Google and I print it and I go. But what would people do with these pictures? It, it depended. It was if it was for projects, they would take them and use them. We would loan them out. They would go in a plastic bag and we'd circulate them on the. They were all barcoded, so you would take them in as part of your presentation, as part as as part of your visuals. There was no color copying then, of course, right? But uh, I, we were talking. One of the fantastically wonderful and difficult questions that I had early in my career was a fellow came in and I think he might have been a set designer or working in film production and he needed a picture of a 1950s gas station. As as you do. (laughs) Who doesn't need a picture of a 1950s gas station? But when you say that, it evokes a picture in your head, right? You just get that sort of Route 66 and you know... I'm thinking red vinyl. Right? Yes. The big cars, those big old Chevys. Right? Mm -hmm. But he needed something factual and just some inspiration. That was a very tough one because 1950s gas station was not something that we'd indexed in the picture file. (laughs) And it meant going through all sorts of different books, years in review of, yeah. So I'm curious, where where did you, do you remember where you ended up finding a picture? No. What kind of book? No, I really, it just, we, I probably, we spent an hour just flipping through. We started with photography books and we went through books on decades, right? right? But it right. was really just hit and miss. It just astounds me. And you still see it today. How resourceful library staff are. Like always thinking on your feet, like big problem solvers, yeah. always solving problems. And you never really get, I mean, you might get the odd question here and there that you've had before, but when it comes to these problem solving opportunities, you know, you're not going to get the same one twice. That's true. <laughs> it's interesting. And I think it's, I think... Exactly as you're saying, library staff are sort of, I want to say, craving these moments. Like you rarely will see a a staff member being asked a question like this and just sort of giving the easy answer. You're always invested. You're always digging through those books with the person until you know that they have what they're looking for. 
Absolutely, absolutely. It's um, it, it was a great topic of all our all our breaks and lunches in the lunchroom. Yeah. Oh, somebody asked me this this morning. <laughs> really, where did you find that? Or you'd get somebody else involved. So yeah. again, working in a, a larger library system with um, quite a large central library. We had subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. So we had a literature librarian and a business librarian and a government documents librarian, a music librarian. So if you couldn't find the answer yourself at a local level, you would call the subject matter expert at the central library that had a larger physical collection to work with and a deeper knowledge of the subject. It's interesting because I think I, I, in recent years, you only really see that still, I guess, in more academic libraries, right? Sure, Where, it still happens there. Yeah, which is which is interesting because I guess the, the, the bulk of their work is reference for students who are very much focused. But it's interesting that I did not realize public libraries had that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. One of my favorite, favorite reference um, stories was um, it, as a result of a sad occasion, but when the Challenger um, ah. space shuttle crashed, the President Reagan gave an incredible, I don't know if it was a eulogy or a speech, and he quoted a, a line of a poem that was incredibly moving. And a customer came in and wanted to know the name of the poem that the line came from, and it was something to the effect of, they reached up and touched the face of God. Mm-hmm. And it was a, so it was a very moving, very evocative line. And although we had poetry indexes in books that you could look up the first line of a poem or the last line of the poem, or you could look up the author of a poem and it would list other poems, this was neither the first nor last line of the poem. So where do you go? But the literature librarian that worked at the Central Library had just an absolutely remarkable memory. And when I got a hold, I knew I needed to talk to Charles. And when I got Charles on the phone, not only did he recite the entire poem off by heart to me and the customer (laughs) over the phone, he said, we have that book in two different volumes, but I can tell you that they're both out right now. Oh, Charles. Charles, without ever leaving his chair at the desk. (laughs) I mean. He was, that was All in a day's work for Charles, apparently. Yeah. What what I really want to know is why did they never think to have a librarian game show where you would just trivia the heck out of each other? Oh, come on now. How many librarians do you think of one at Jeopardy over the years? True. If you, there's, there's got to be something there. I'd be very interested to know the number of librarians that have participated on Jeopardy. And speaking of game shows, I remember thinking this, we had a conversation once and you were telling me about, there was a reference service. Yes. Can you explain this to me? Because I keep trying to picture it as you've described it. And I've even searched, quickly searched for it. And I couldn't find a picture. But I need you to explain this again. And Alana, you have to hear about this. This is new for me. So this was a service at this particular library. And I I think many libraries had this. So we called it quick, ready reference. So for those very quick, um, very short answer that didn't get referred out to the subject matter specialist. So I need to know something important that happened in the year I was born, those sort of things. What's the biggest city in Hamilton? What's the population of San Francisco, whatever. And this was a very desirable job to have, to work in quick, because really it was was not only a test of your skill all the time, but it was a speed test because it was by definition a phone service. Wow. So people phoned in. 
So the way it was configured and, and, um, we used to run tours. People came from other library systems because this was so well constructed. They literally sat in a circle around a circular desk. And in the middle of the desk was an enormous three-tiered Lazy Susan bookshelf. Wow. So <laughs> you could sit at your spot around the outer circle and spin this Lazy Susan in the middle to get the almanac or the atlas or the volume of the encyclopedia to quickly answer that question while you had that person on the phone. And I think that there were some kind of parameter. If you could answer in less than two minutes, then it was a ready reference question. If it was going to take you longer than two minutes, then you referred them off. It's like pizza delivery. You get your pizza free if it doesn't come in 20 minutes. This is insanely impressive to me. Like this is, as you say, the sort of dream librarian job. Like your librarian is really going to shine. Speed librarian. Yeah. 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 It's like the next level superhero librarian. Wow. It, to me, this sounds very stressful. <laughs> but I just imagine like mission control room, right? Of of the library. Did you wear headsets? Of course. Yes, I was hoping you would wear headsets. Of course they wear headsets. In my mind, that was the only piece missing. Yeah, I wish I could say we. I never actually, it was a dream. But those were very coveted positions, oh, yeah. right? Wow. Because they, they were kind of high profile, right? Yeah. You knew all the people that worked at Quick oh, Rock star of librarian yes, roles. It was. it was. I'm also imagining a bell for some reason, like every time they get one right. <laughs> but like I mean, the stock floor, right? Yeah. I think they do that on Wall Street. I'm sure. <laughs> Um, So speaking of these strange and wonderful reference questions uh, that we may not really hear much anymore, as you're saying. So people have the luxury of typing their questions into Google and letting it happen. Um, I heard there was a question about a ferret. Yes. Yeah. So people, <laughs> Big people sigh. would have to, so here's that reference interview in, in action. People would come and have to ask things that were maybe a little embarrassing yeah. or that they didn't really want to tell you why <laughs> they needed the information. <laughs> so I had a gentleman ask if we had any books about ferrets. Sure. We have books about ferrets. Mm-hmm. I said, just help me to understand a little bit. Are you, do you, are you getting a ferret as a pet? No. Okay. Okay. And are you interested in breeding ferrets? Because there are specific books about ferret breeding. No. Okay. Well, we're narrowing it down. (laughs) Where else can this go? Now I know what you don't need to know about ferrets. Can you? So, you know, back and forth. And he he was embarrassed. But finally it got to a point that... His mother, who lived um, not far away from the branch where we worked, was having terrible problems with rats in her basement. And someone had told him that if he purchased a ferret, the ferret would ferret the rats out of the basement. And I wasn't able to find any information in a textbook that we we had on that. I imagine you can find that on Google now. Oh, yeah. There's going to be forums and forums of people. (laughs) Which kind of ferret? How long will it take? There's got to be subreddits on (laughs) One million percent with memes attached. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That was an interesting one. There was also, um, I had a, I had an 
another gentleman who was very uh, specific that he needed a picture of a very specific kind of fish. And I don't know, for the sake of argument, it was a, a local fish out of one of the Great Lakes. But okay. A rarer fish mm. it wasn't a pike or a trout or something. Yeah. It was so it it took a little it took a little hunting down, but absolutely you know the excitement. Yeah. What a thrill! The, the, it's the chase, the, the hunt, thrill of victory <laughs> when yeah. you find that picture of that very specific fish. So it was great. He left very happy. Never did find out from him at that time why he wanted the picture of the fish. Huh. Three weeks later, however, when he returned the book, it was full of sort of fish guts and oh my. scales what? and nastiness that, that uh, unfortunately we had to contact him about. He needed the picture because he was doing taxidermy. <gasps> on this particular fish that he'd caught. And so he needed a good picture of it to know what it was going to look like. Wow. Taxidermy. And he just got a little up close and personal. Oh, yeah. there's just so much to this. Yes. Like, so yeah. much, so much. That book has been flagged. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Wasn't there a Seinfeld episode about that? Well, this is it. <laughs> yeah. um, so the thing I'm curious about is we're talking about this quick ready referencing, and this is a little bit away from the Google idea. But still, um, I wonder, because you're talking about this and we're talking about the thrill of the hunt, do you find yourself uh, outside of your job at any point now or in the past? Is this, is, has this become a part of your personality? Are you this person at home? Or are you this person? If someone had, what was that song or what was, do you, cause, cause I personally take huge pride and being able to identify where was that actor from or, you know, whatever it might be. Or like songs, like I'll start to hum a song and Eva will just pick it up. Yeah, and because it is a competition. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't take it that far, but. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, 100%, right? Yeah. Like it's just, it's in the DNA. Yeah. That I want to be the person who, if I don't know, I want to be the first person yes. to find yes. out and be able to tell you. Yeah. There's yeah. some power Which in is, that. Yeah, it's kind of annoying if you're one of my children. I exactly. Can, I can definitely share that with you. Wow. Um, so on the topic of questions that we get asked, I have a very, um, straightforward question for you, mm -hmm. Rebecca. Um, are there such things as stupid questions? No, of course not. No, because even in the age of Google, uh -huh. right, there are many things that are nuanced in a way that an algorithm is just not going to, you know, and at the risk of going all cliched, Google will bring you back a million answers. A librarian will bring you back the right answer. It's so true, though. And I think especially in the world of fake news and all you get bombarded when you do a Google search or you look at the news, what's going on with all these kind of competing um, opinions or these quote unquote facts. Um, but to try and sift through that and get to the meaning or get to the really the true meat, the facts is not an easy thing. And so I think that's where we're at now, right? Where we're wondering, uh, we still have librarians, we still have library staff, uh, we still have people coming into the library and they're in the world, people are still asking questions. But how have our roles evolved if people are asking those questions to a computer? Um, how are they the same? How have they evolved? Uh, and what I always want to know is, we, I mean, I personally think we have evolved, of course. Does the public realize hmm. how the how the evolution has happened 
I'm not sure. Okay. I have so much to say to that, and I will forget the last part of that I'll question you. before I get to it. <laughs> so I am so pleased that to, to talk about this, that you've asked this part of the question, because yeah, always the information seeking part is, is I believe, always going to be part of what we do. We do have books. We do have trained information professionals whose job it is to connect you with the information that you need to be successful in whatever it is that you're doing. That will always be, I believe, a fundamental part of what libraries are and what library staff do. I I, I don't think that's ever going to go away. I don't think books are ever going to go away. Um, I do think how we access all the information has changed dramatically, but I think where our role has changed in a really exciting way is that we are no longer sitting in front of that or, or sitting around that lazy Susan being the person who's dispensing the information. Right. We're not just pointing you to here is the content that we provide you the content. We're now, because we're so involved in the community, because communities are craving ways to come together and to um, to be in public spaces and engaging in ways that they didn't need to right. when so you, you couldn't tap everything into your phone mm-hmm. and yep. connect with your friends uh, through social media, right? People are craving a way to come together. So it's, and and this podcast is a perfect example of how library staff are um, much more about facilitating content creation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? We've taken that, the experts out of being the experts and we've turned that expertise over to the community and now we're really just we're not gatekeepers we're we're facilitators you you need to be here and and record a a podcast you you want to record your family's history or um, do an interview with someone a very interesting person in the community and have that shared for prosper for posterity absolutely we can help you with yes. that right Believe. with yep. the technology still with the books absolutely still with the books but when you think about what the original um why libraries first were invented or created or what role we initially fulfilled it, it was about sharing knowledge yeah it's it's still what we're about, just in a really much more fulsome way. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And even if you look at the sewing program, I think it's so cool. Like Google's not going to teach me how to sew, but you can come into the library and take one of our sewing programs. And I just think that's such a great opportunity. Absolutely. And things like, um, it, you know, building on the, the, the sewing thing, uh, our sit and stitch program To me, you know, when we first started doing knitting programs, I have to tell you, you can't, you know, podcast listeners can't see my eyes rolling, but my my eyes were rolling very loudly in my head. Like, really, isn't that just sort of perpetuating that stereotype of librarians sitting around knitting? And okay, I'm a total convert to sit and stitch (laughs) because it's, it is really boiled down to the essence of we provide the space and a little bit, it's not even expertise. It's it's a little bit of material to get you started. So we'll get we'll give you the space. We'll, we we will connect you with other people in the community that are talking piece. about this. Yeah. And we've got some books on knitting that we'll put out for you, right? 
the and they are largely women, but I love it when yeah. the men join in. Yeah, right? why not? Yeah. Those circles are magnetic. We just don't see people working with those kind of handicrafts in the way that we did when I was growing up and sure. my grandmother was always, you know, embroidering or knitting or something. So it's fascinating to watch teenagers yes. sort of just come and stand around the periphery of the ring, yeah. see what this, and, and they're so good, right? Like yeah. the, the women, oh, yeah. the participants in that ring, they, oh, do you want, have you ever seen this? Do you want to try this? Newcomers. So it's a very safe space for people. Number one, you don't have to speak the same language, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. like to work with their hands and it's a very safe space for people that may not have enough English to engage, but what an engaging way to sit down and share your expertise with someone. It, it's, it's really fascinating. So if we take that at one end of the spectrum and then go to, say, 3D printing Absolutely. or podcast creation, right? It was only a couple years ago that um, I was touring uh, someone around through the Four Corners branch. And there was a huge lineup outside the, the makerspace, the auditorium. And we got talking to the mom who was standing at the front of the line to get into the makerspace, which was opening on that day at four o'clock. Now it's open all the time <laughs> because her children had never seen a 3D printer yeah. at the time. Yeah. And she just wanted to expose them to the technology to, to so they could see and understand what it was about. Yeah. They had an opportunity to print something. Totally. That's what libraries are about. Yes. Libraries yes. are about democratizing access yeah. to information and technologies. And you never know by a kiddo coming to visit the, the makerspace what that is going to spark a new hobby, a new passion, you know, that could be that that could lead the path towards their future career. And and they might not have had that opportunity to access these tools otherwise. Yeah. Well, the one thing that um, sort of working in library branches and what I tend to do is tell my friends and my family about, you know, you, you go to work, you come home, you tell people what happened at work. I notice uh, that there is still a discrepancy though, right? So we know this, we know there's, you know, sit and stitch, we know there's teenagers in the branch, we know there's 3D printers and all this, and we see people using them. So of course people are aware, but when I go and I'm, you know, at a party or at a dinner and I tell people about such and such that happened in the library, I am constantly, constantly being asked, you you work at a library? Like, don't you work at a library? Or ha, ha, do what? people still go to the library? Right. So, so I wonder. I am constantly wondering about this discrepancy between how far the libraries have come and how people are thriving by using the libraries, and at the same time, segments of the population that, I mean, presumably don't really use the library or haven't really thought to visit in a while, that probably still imagine. That reference desk you're imagining. So uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. What do you think happened? Yeah, it's it's simultaneously our biggest strength and our, our biggest crack, right? Our right. biggest weakness. That when the word library is exceptionally evocative, people, when you say, I work at the library, people know exactly, they believe, yeah. what that is. Yeah. Our, our, our brand is books and we embrace that absolutely. But if you Google more than books or more than just books, you will come up with every strat plan or mm -hmm. every, um, you know, tagline for like every library, every library, yeah. more than just books. And, and it's true, right? So we have this incredible brand and brand recognition 
that doesn't fully capture everything that we do. Yeah. So there's a huge tension there. I, I really, when people ask what our biggest challenge is, you know, is in my role, what's your biggest challenge? It's spreading, it's spreading the word. People, right. the people that come and use the library and love the yes. library, use us and love us. And we know that, right? Like literally millions of people mm -hmm. come through our doors every year. That's not an exaggeration. No, yeah. Thousands of people walk through the doors of Brampton Library every day of the week, seven days a week. That's the bomb. Yeah. And that's still surprising. So for the thousands of people that walk through the door every day, there are still thousands of people that roll their eyes when you say, library? Do people yeah. still go to the library? And, that, and so I'm going to reference something I watch all the time, which is Seinfeld. He, Jerry Seinfeld has a bit in I, what I believe is their library episode, um, if, if you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, that episode involves a very librarian type librarian and it's a, it's a funny episode, but in his bit, he says something along the lines of, and I'm going to ruin it a little bit. Um, he says, libraries are kind of like that, that person who wants to be everyone's friend and he'll let you borrow any of your thing, you know, your things and sort of, sort of the, the person who you will walk over cause they'll let you as a friend cause they just want to be your friend. And of course he's not painting the library in a great light, but he's, he's, he's making the point that, uh, you can go to the library, you can borrow anything and they will just let you take it as long as you bring it back. And like I say, he's poking fun and he's, he's putting it in that light because that is what we do. You can borrow anything. We just want you to take it and try it. But how do we turn that around so that people, I mean, presumably are not waiting sort of for the other shoe to drop? Because sometimes I'll tell people you can stream from home for free. You can listen to these, you know, uh, audiobooks for free. You can learn how to do graphic design for free. And they're kind of just looking at me like, until, <laughs> yeah. until, what are you going to do? <laughs> Where's that subscription fee? Yeah. yeah. I read an article and I wish I could source it for you right now. The librarian in me wants to source it. <laughs> we have time. But we can was, link it. Oh, okay, good. Thanks. It was about the library being like Harry Potter's room of requirement. Oh yeah. Yep. Did you... Do you, so do you mm -hmm. remember from the Harry oh, Potter yes. books, the room of requirement that oh, yeah. provided for you just what you needed yep. at just the right moment? Yes. And this article was so evocative that in fact, that's what we are. It's and that's chills. what we do. We are the community's room of requirement. I love that. I love that. So we're going to, we're going to link that article, right? Yes. So you can go away well, because it helped, it. it helps turn around that expectation because I think, and I don't blame, you know, you're, if you're a customer in today's world, you're kind of used to that. You're used to trying to, that the pop-up comes up and you try to avoid it and you X out of it. So you're not the sucker that gets subscribed to something you don't want to be part of. So I think people are sort of conditioned to be like, what, what do you mean? All these what things are want? free. Yes. What do you want? No, we don't, we don't want. Exactly. Just, yeah. No, we're just here for you. We just want we're you to. Do yeah. better, be better yeah. for free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all I want. That's yeah. what I want to tell people yeah. all very, the time. Very famous librarian friend of mine, who I think you know as mm -hmm. well, a colleague by the name of Wendy Newman. Oh yes, right? the Merrill Street of libraries. Exactly. <laughs> just, I stole the words right out of her mouth. <laughs> we're going to just say that here. I, I once sat in on a lecture uh, that she was doing at the library school, and and it's true. In today's world, in today's climate and economy, there is no business model for a library. Li yes. li libraries, 
that there is no business case for public That's libraries. Right. And if we were ever going to try and, and um, pull funding together to start a library, it would never happen in today's world. We've been handed a great legacy, yes. right? right? The legacy of what's come before us. And it's our responsibility. Now I'm getting really prosaic, but it's our <laughs> responsibility to build on that legacy and to care for that legacy yeah. and pass it along because this is too good to lose. Yep. It's almost too good to be true, but it isn't. It isn't. I mean. We're right here. It's true. And I think that's the perfect way to end the podcast. How... <laughs> We couldn't have made that more perfect. Couldn't have. Parting words were perfect. I'm happy. That's it. Thank you, Rebecca. This is fabulous. Thank you so much. So fun. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow us at Brampton Library to keep the conversation going. As always, if you want to check out our audio recording studio at Chinkuzi Branch, please visit our website and go to the make menu to find all of the details.